Well, welcome to Church Online. My name is Pete, uh, pastor here at Destiny, and you're a guest. Great to be together as a church, and great to have you joining us if you're joining us for the first time. Today, we're going to be looking at the subject of marriage, a hugely important subject. If you're unmarried, this will help you. If you are married, hopefully this will help you. If you've been married, I think this will help you. So come with me on a journey. We're going to turn to the Bible. It might not be easy, but I think it's going to be helpful. Let's pray and ask God to help us. God, thank you so much. You know and love every single person joining me today. You're with them just as you're with me just now. I ask you, come, mighty Holy Spirit, change our lives. We don't want to stay the same. We don't want to see the results we've had before. We want to have different results. We want to have God's success. We want to be led by God. We want to make a difference with our lives. Come, Holy Spirit. And if anyone today doesn't yet know you, God, they haven't got a relationship with you, they don't know what it is to be forgiven for their sins and have eternal life, I pray today that for them, you would draw close to them, you'd meet with them, and you'd change their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, let me start with a story. There was a, a, a farmer, and uh, he was out uh, with a sheepdog herding up all the sheep. And his friend from the city happened to be visiting him as, as he was doing this. And his friend just stood by and watched and was amazed. The guy was going, and the dog was doing all these maneuvers and bringing all the sheep to do certain things. And then he'd go, and then the dog would kind of open the, the gate with its nozzle, with its nozzle, snout, nose. <laughs> and the, the gate would open and the sheep would go in and then he'd go, whistle something else. And then take his paw and close the latch on the gate. And his friend from the city was like, wow, that's an amazing dog. What's your dog called? Uh, what's her name? And, and he said, okay, uh, it's, like, it's, like, it's like a, you know, what's that flower? And it's, it's got a stem and it's got thorns on it. And the guy said, Rose. He said, yeah, that's right. Rose, honey, what's the name of our dog? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, let me talk to you about marriage, and uh, guys, don't let that be your example. <laughs> marriage is actually in, in jeopardy. Um, I mean, this is a, an old article by Amanda Patel in the Daily, in the Daily Mail, uh, a 10-year-old article, but let me just read it to you. She, she said that half of marriages end in divorce. The latest figures show that the number of marriages in the UK is actually at an all-time low. And I think what's happening is People, for fear of divorce, are saying, well, it doesn't really work, so I'll just not get married. We'll just live together. The difficulty with that is that the success rate of cohabitation is even worse than the success rate of marriage. So more births, more than half of all the births in the UK are now outside of marriage. And that's, again, that's a 10-year-old statistic, and, and that's advanced even more today. Research published by the Centre for Social Justice shows that one in two cohabiting couples break up before their child is age five, compared to one in 12 when the parents are married. You know, we all have it within us, this desire to have relationship. But the problem is, it's often not working. And I know many of you have experienced considerable pain because of failed marriages, or maybe your parents were divorced and you've lived with that. And you kind of think, well, what chance do I have if my parents couldn't make it? Maybe you've been divorced yourself, Maybe you've, you fear marriage because you think, I'm not sure it can actually work. And maybe you've been divorced and you've gone through the pain and the anxiety of that. Or maybe you're in a marriage and the marriage itself is a painful experience that you're just surviving in. Well, I believe that God has some answers for us today. 
Listen, I could just tell you, I mean, I could easily just come up with 10 tips for a successful marriage. And I could find them in 101 articles. You just Google successful marriage and you would get them coming up. But I'm going to give you some tips that you're not going to get from Googling. I'm going to take you to the Bible. I'm going to talk about marriage by the book. I think and I really believe with all my heart that the Bible contains in it keys that make you a successful individual and gives you success in marriage and parenting. And what the Bible teaches, actually what we're going to look at today, will be thoroughly countercultural and at times politically incorrect. But nevertheless, it teaches us. And 22 years on, me and Andrew have been married. Hasn't always been easy, but it's been awesome. And I can say that we've pursued the three radical ideas I'm going to share with you today from the Bible. I'm going to share three radical ideas that we've been pursuing for 22 years. We ain't got it perfect, but these three things will help you. All right. Let me take you to the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 onwards. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as this church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present to herself her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. There's lots of unfamiliar phrases and words in those verses. They certainly speak in a way that our culture isn't speaking. But let me share three radical ideas that these verses contain that I honestly believe will give you success in your marriage or the marriage you're going to go into. Radical idea number one is that marriage is a lifelong covenant. The verses we just read, it's actually a quote from Genesis. And in verses 31 and 32, we read, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. It's saying that when you get married, it's a covenant, and it literally is so powerful, it transforms the two people into becoming one flesh. It's like if you had two pieces of wood, and you joined it with a proper wood glue, those two bits of wood together, and you join them thoroughly and properly. You know, if you let it set properly, the glue, the join itself becomes stronger than the constituent parts of wood to the point where if you were to separate them, it would damage both pieces of wood beyond recognition. 
it literally, this piece of wood have, would have bits of, that piece of wood stuck to it still, and this piece of wood would still have residues from that piece of wood stuck to it. And that's how much marriage is a covenant. When you are married and you consummate that marriage with sexual union, you become one flesh. By the way, that's why having sex willy-nilly, just outside a marriage with whoever, and that's, again, what our culture is promoting, actually what you're doing is you're giving yourself away wholly to, to strangers or to people you're not going to be with forever. And actually what you're doing is you're gluing together and forcing apart and gluing together. And you end up with residues of them on you and you on them. And it creates a confusion in your being because the Bible says you become one flesh. Marriage is this a covenant it's describing. Now, Jesus also quotes this verse from Genesis when he's talking about marriage. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 19, verse 6. They are no longer two, but one flesh what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus goes on to say, okay, he, he says, yet yeah, they're no longer two, but one flesh. But then Jesus adds, therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Uh, many people in today's society, as, as we've just heard earlier statistically, are living together outside of marriage. And, you know, they, they kind of will say things like, oh, marriage is just a piece of paper. That's not the important thing. You know, what's important is how we feel about each other or something like that. Marriage is just a piece of paper. Well, my question is, if it's just a piece of paper, if, it's, if that's all it is, then why don't you sign it? And I think this, the answer is they won't sign it. They won't sign anything that says, I'm in this for life. There's a warped subconscious belief that having an uns unspoken threat of separation hanging over our relationship it will keep the other one on their toes. <laughs> like living in a permanent interview that you've never, we're, we're, not, we're not totally sure we're going to be together for life, but hey, we're enjoying it just now. But it's like living in a permanent interview. And folks, that fear, in fact, any fear, doesn't produce the best in humanity. Faith produced the best, and faith sometimes involves a risk. Fear does not bring out the best in humanity. Covenant is a binding agreement. I remember when me and Ange got married, the pastor who married us gave us advice. Uh, the advice he gave us was this. Listen, in your marriage, quitting is not an option. And he also said to us, never, ever mention divorce. Never. Do not let that be part of your vocabulary. So, um, and me and Angie have just done that. We, we've never mentioned divorce. We don't talk about it. We do have problems sometimes, but we work them through. Sometimes it's been really hard, but we work it through. Quitting is not an option. In fact, if you're married today, say that with me. One, two, three. Quitting is not an option. Look at your partner if you're with them just now and say, quitting is not an option. All right. And now say after me, uh, divorce is never going to be mentioned in this home. Go for it. Divorce is never going to be mentioned in this home. Go into it with a single-minded, radical commitment, and that's what the Bible's talking about here. You know, when Julius Caesar arrived, the story goes that when he arrived on the shores of the United Kingdom to take over the land, he, they all came across on ships, but he did a very radical step. As they arrived in the ships, all the troops were on the land now, and he took them to the edge of the cliff and pointed back down to the ships that they had just come across the channel in, and he sunk all of the ships so that there literally was no way of return. 
And it was that kind of single-minded, no, no, we're going to conquer this land. It's that kind of mentality that actually will bring success in your marriage. So I get it. Sometimes, it's, often, it will be hard. You're two human beings. Of course, man, we're flawed. Of course, it's going to be hard. But you fight for it. And with God's help, it can be awesome. I love what Tim Keller said. He said this, Wedding vows are not a declaration of present love, but a mutually binding promise of future love. The word covenant is an old word, but it means a binding agreement. And this is the language that covenant speaks. Listen to how God describes covenant. Jeremiah 32, 40. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing them good. That's the language of covenant. I will never stop doing them good. In fact, why don't you again turn to your spouse just now? Just look them in the eye and tell them, I will never stop doing you good. I'm saying it down the camera to Angie just now. I will never stop doing you good. Say it to your spouse just now. One, two, three. I will never stop doing you good. That's the language of covenant. Radical idea. Okay, radical idea number two. Marriage needs leadership. Let's go back to the verses. Verse 22. Wives, submit to yourselves, to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit themselves to the husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, you will agree that is not kind of what you hear in today's society. But nevertheless, the God who created us has given us a manual. It's just like you buy a car, you get a car manual. Operate in line with the manual, it's going to go well. So God also gives us this manual for marriage. And I understand these verses have been used and abused by different generations in different ways, by chauvinists or by misogynists. I get it. But that doesn't mean the verses themselves, if properly applied, won't give you absolute success. Totally. What the Bible teaches is this that men and women are equal, equal in value. They're equal. But the Bible teaches that men and women are also different. That's called complementarianism. Egalitarianism says men and women are equal and men and women are the same. But complementarianism, which I think is biblical, would say that men and women are equal, but men and women are different. They're different. They're different morphologically, psychologically. They're different temperamentally, hormonally. They're different de developmentally. They're different. Now, a culture that says, no, no, men and women are not different, they're the same, that statement is totally unscientific. I mean, it's completely unscientific, and it shows you don't have a brain. <laughs> men and women are different in so many ways. Different isn't bad. Different is awesome. Different is good. Different doesn't mean one is better than another. Different is just different. We are equal in value, but nevertheless, we are different. Now, the Bible doesn't just teach us that we're physically different. I mean, obviously, we're physically different. Okay, you don't need to go back to high school biology. We're physically different. Okay, but God also, who created your physique, created you spirit, soul, and body. Do you not think you're also wired differently as well? Emotionally made up differently? Yeah, of course we are. Spiritually, emotionally, and physically, and mentally, we're different. And different is good. And I understand there's generalizations, but God has wired us differently. Now, what happens is, in the, in, when sin comes into the world, the idea of the husband being the head of the family and the wife submitting to the husband, 
when sin came into the world, that concept was distorted. Headship and submission was in, in marriage before sin came into the world, but when sin came into the world, marriage and headship and submission was distorted. And so what you found after sin came into the world, you found that the man, instead of being a godly head in his home, became a, a guy who was just abdicating responsibility or abusing responsibility and taking too much dominion and crushing the woman. And on the flip side, you also had women, instead of having intelligent submission, went to becoming subversive or being totally dominated and allowing herself to be a walkover. Both are utter distortions of God's ideal, but that's what sin does. You see, it's interesting in Genesis 3.16, after sin came into the world, God declared about marriage to the wife. He said, your desire will be for your husbands and he will rule over you. Now, that's not a positive statement. That's, that's a statement that's come after sin came into the world. The verb for desire, it's a Hebrew verb, and actually appears in the next chapter as well. And here's the verse in the next chapter, Genesis 4, 7. Sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. This was God speaking to Cain and telling him that, that sin wanted to take you out, wanted to dominate you, wanted to manipulate you. It's interesting that word desire is the same word used here for marriage. That instead of intelligent submission, the woman will slip into, sin will push her in this direction, a, a kind of subversiveness and a, a desire to dominate the husband. And in turn, the husband will rule over the wife, not intelligent or godly headship, but a domineering, dictatorial kind of sense. That's not what we're talking about. That's the distortion of sin. But what we're describing here in, in Ephesians chapter 5 is a perfect balance for husbands and wives. Let me unpack it, first of all, for the husbands. You ready, guys? It's coming for you now. Ready? Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, the wives say, well, man, this is really hard. We have to submit to our husbands. Listen, honey, we've got to be Jesus. That's pretty hard, okay? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's no small thing. I mean, what does it mean? Let me, let me spell it out. First of all, it means husbands serve like Jesus served. It doesn't mean that you're this little dictator in your household, like a little Robert Mugabe, kind of calling the shots in your family, and you get to decide. She does all the work and raises the kids, and you just lie around like a teenager. No, that's not what it's talking about. You know, some of you are happy to be the lead in your household, but you're not happy to serve in your household. That's very unlike Jesus. Because for Jesus, leadership and serving were one and the same. You see, being head means being like Jesus. And Jesus was all about give, 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 not take, take, take. Jesus was all about serve, serve, serve. Jesus was all about love and radical sacrifice. Jesus was all about, in fact, Jesus' life was not about him. So guys, get with it. Stop making your life about you. Say amen. Next thing headship means, I think it means husbands take responsibility. Interestingly, when sin came into the world, Adam's response was to, to blame Eve. He didn't take responsibility for what happened in his family. Instead, he looked for, oh, who's to blame here? Well, a husband, a true head, takes responsibility. In fact, that's what Jesus did for us, right? See, Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus had no sin in himself, but he took responsibility for the sin of the world, even though it wasn't his own sin. And 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, 
he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus died for my sin. He took responsibility for my sin. And that's what the example the Bible gives us saying, husbands, that's how we're to be with our wives. We're to take responsibility for our family. So stop blaming your kids or your wife or your dog. Take responsibility in your house for your household, for your finances, for the health and well-being of your family. That's what the Bible's teaching. Husbands, I think it also means the buck stops with you. That's what it means. I mean, in the Bible, who sinned first, Adam or Eve? Eve. And yet, who does God hold responsible for the sin of the world? Adam. Romans tells us that it was through one man, Adam, that sin came into the world. Why? That's what it means to be head, that the buck stops with you. If it's if it's going well in your family, it's because it's going well with you. If it's not going well in its family, don't blame everyone else. It's because it's not going well with you. Get things going well in your life, with you and God. And then the cascade effect knocks on. That's why, husbands, can I encourage you? Be the prayer warrior in your household. Every day, bear your family before God in prayer. And by the way, even if you're separated from, your, from those you love, maybe you've divorced, maybe your heart's broken over that separation, you actually continuing to do well with God actually will bring blessing on your kids even though you're apart. Husbands, it means be proactive in raising your kids. That's what it means to be head. It says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Notice it doesn't say that the wife will do all the teaching of the kids. No, it says husbands. Come on, the men. You take responsibility in your family for raising your kids in the faith. I love what Martin Luther, the great reformer, said. He said, a house is actually a school and a church, and the head of the household is a pastor in his house. So husbands, I want to encourage you, see yourself like you're the pastor in your little church, which is your house, and just bring truth to your family and lead your family in truth. Hey, it doesn't mean the wife can't bring it awesome teaching as well, but don't just abdicate responsibility from that. Husbands, be tender and show understanding. That's what it means to be the head. I love what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. Isn't that amazing? The Bible's telling you that actually by you not interacting in a tender way with your spouse, it will hinder your spiritual prayers. Your, your connection with God will be limited if your connection in this level isn't going well. Conversely, if you live with your wife in an understanding way, it releases spiritual power for powerful prayers to be prayed. Isn't that incredible? Okay, so that's the husbands. So what about the wives? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24 says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. Okay, what does it mean, first of all? It first of all means don't nag your husbands. That's what it means. Don't nag. Uh, you know, there was, there's two lines of guys queuing up for heaven. And it had signs. One sign said, uh, for husbands who are bossed around by their wives. And the other the queue was for husbands that aren't bossed around by their wives. And there was one guy standing at the queue that said, husbands that aren't bossed around by their wives. And there was a queue as far as you could see uh, at the line that said, husbands that are bossed around by their wives. And uh, St. Peter went up to the guy, the solitary guy standing at the queue, 
And he said, well, why are you standing at this one? And he said, oh, my wife told me to. <laughs> I'm kidding you on. Right, but it says in Proverbs, listen to that. I've got two, two Bible verses for you ladies. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 19. It is better to live alone in the deserts than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. All right, it's not helpful. Don't nag. Number two, wives don't put him down in front of others. This is so important. Your words are so powerful. And the way you speak of your husband in private, but also in public is so, so important. Proverbs 12, verse 4. An excellent wife is a crown of her husband's, is the crown of her husband's. But she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. Wow. My stupid husband, you should see what he's like. He never, no, no, no. And you go on like that in your, with your work colleagues or your friends, and you have no idea how damaging to your marriage that is. Utterly that He doesn't even know you're doing it, and yet it undermines the marriage. Are you a crown or are you a cancer in your marriage? If you shame him, you're like a cancer. You're rottenness to his bones. I've never, 22 years married to Angie. We sometimes disagree. That doesn't, that's quite common. But I've never once had her shame me. She's never spoken ill of me to her parents, to her work colleagues, to others in public. Even when they're sitting there gossiping about their husbands. Angie just doesn't join in. Doesn't mean she always agrees with me but she respects me. And boy, it builds a stronger marriage. But the the, the Apostle Peter also gives us two keys and the impact of being a submissive wife to your husband. Listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husband so that if any of them do not believe the word, they will be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Incredible. So what the Bible's teaching here is that submission actually will win over your husband. If he's not a believer, he'll be won over. Or equally, if he's a stubborn believer, he will be won over. Your submission, your gentleness, that will, it doesn't mean you're, you're not, I'm not talking about introverts, extroverts, it's not talking about that. You can be an extrovert and be deeply submitted in your heart. It's not talking about personality types, it's talking about attitude. In verse 3, it says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past put their hope in God and used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah. And this is such a, it's an amazing passage, but listen to what it says here. It's saying that submission will actually beautify you into old age. Yeah, I get it. As we get older, we, the beauty fades. I get it. That we, we kind of, we got some crinkles appearing and hair color changes, and I get it. But honestly, if you keep that submissive heart in your marriage as you get older and let it grow, you will become more and more beautiful as your spirit shines through your personality and your body. I'm telling you, it will beautify. This is, this is the guaranteed cream that will keep you looking young as you get older. And it's interesting, it gives the example of Sarah twice in the Old Testament. Sarah, as an old lady, was so attractive. It describes how other people who weren't her husbands were deeply attracted to her, even in her old age. Why is that? Because her character, her person, was shining through her physique. It's like bike pedals, folks. Ladies, submit to your husbands, wives. 
Husbands, be a godly head, not some dictator, but a godly head. When you do that, it's like bike pedals. When you play your part, husbands, when you are a godly head, it's like you're pushing your bike pedal down and it elevates her. And, and then when she respects and submits to you, it pushes like pushing the pedal out and it elevates him and he wants to be a better husband. And it, if you, I mean, if your attitude is, well, I'll wait till he starts up in his game, then I'll start showing him some respect. Well, then what you're doing is actually you're backpedaling and that stops the bike moving forward. Or husbands, if you're saying, I'm not going to lay my life down for this girl, she just keeps criticizing, tell me all the things I don't do, then you're just backpedaling. You, you can't do their part, you can only do your part. So start playing your part. You've tried the other stuff, it doesn't work. Let's try the radical key from the Bible. Say amen. Okay. Radical idea number three. It's not about you. Verse 28 says, In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. It's not about you. Listen to this quote by a great theologian and, and preacher, John Piper. Listen to this. The misery in marriages which we see all around us is caused because husbands and wife are pursuing their own private pleasure at the expense of their spouses instead of pursuing their pleasure in the pleasure of their spouses. Your happiness is not something you get from your spouse. Your happiness comes from your devotion to their happiness. That's what the Bible's teaching. Just that like Jesus, he gave himself for the blessing of the church. So also husbands, you, you, you give yourself for the blessing of your spouse, and I'm telling you, you'll find more joy and satisfaction in that relationship than you, you would from a consumeristic relationship. So the question is, how do they want love? Not, not how do you want love, but how do they want love? What's the love you can give to them? You know, if you know she just loves quality time, then prioritize it. I know that for Angie, that's one of her love languages. She just loves quality time. So whenever we can, we go for a really nice walk in the evening. And we just love talking. And I, I love it as well. But for her, it really means so much. If you know his language is physical touch, sexual touch, that just does it for him, then hold hands often, kiss a lot, make love as often as you can, enjoy foreplay, dress sexy with him. Make it an awesome environment where he can know that love. If you know that she appreciates acts of service, then mate, roll up your sleeves. Get involved at home. Help out. Be considerate. If you know that he appreciates words of affirmation, then whatever you do, don't put him down. It doesn't mean you don't correct him, but you do it in a loving, respectful way. Speak well of him. Speak him up. Bless him with your words. Speak great words over him. If you know that she appreciates gifts, then you need to dig deep and prioritize getting her some gifts. And by the way, I've, I've made these like male, female. It can work either way. I, I've had, for example, I've had girls who their love language is physical touch and their marriage is crumbling 
because her husband never gives her any physical attention. It works different ways. Every situation is different. But you need, to lo- you need to love them, not the way you want loved. You need to love them the way they want loved. And then the hope is that they will also do the same. And in that, there's an overlap. And that is where the joy and the blessing in marriage comes from. So there's three radical ideas for marriage. And notice every single one of them is grounded in how Jesus interacted with the world. You see, Jesus Christ, he came into the world and he died and laid his life down. He who is head of everything, he who is Lord of all, died in our place on the cross because we're sinners. We needed someone to die in our place to rescue us from our sins so that we could have eternal life. Jesus did that for you and for me. He died in our place so you could be saved. And he laid his life down and he is our head. So the only thing that's appropriate for us to say is, Jesus, be Lord of my life. And by trusting in Jesus, you get this forgiveness, this eternal life, this relationship with God. And I want you to have this today. I want you to have that authentic relationship with God today. And Jesus Christ, he instigates an unbreakable covenant with you. He invites you not just in to hang out with him, be his buddy. He invites you to have a covenant with him, an unbreakable union with God Almighty himself. That's what Jesus did. And that's what Jesus invites you into today. And Jesus Christ, do you know what? He didn't live for himself. He gave himself for you. And he continually, even today, 2,000 years on, Jesus Christ today in your life wants to be a blesser, a blesser, a blesser. Will you come into this relationship with him? If that's you today, and you, I, I know I've been talking about marriage, but now I'm talking about something far more important than marriage. And it's the, it's the thing, the relationship, the ultimate relationship on which all successful marriages are based. It's the relationship with God. Do you have that relationship? And how about right now, making a decision to accept that relationship? We're going to pray. And as we pray, I want to invite you to pray and accept Jesus. Let's pray. If you're here today and you're saying, Peter, I want Jesus in my life. I want to be saved. Then pray this prayer with me, just one line at a time. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Jesus, thank you for for dying in my place so that I can be forgiven and have eternal life. I believe you rose from the dead on the third day. Take first place in my life, in my heart. I declare Jesus is Lord, head over my life. Thank you so much for hearing my prayer. If you prayed that prayer, I know that God heard you. And right now, you've just been saved eternally by God as you trusted in Jesus. He saves you. He forgives you. He gives you a new life and a new start. Hey, let us know you made the decision. We want to help you grow in your faith. On your platform, click I pray the prayer or send us an email or message us on Facebook. We want to be there to help you grow in this most important relationship, the relationship with God. Let's worship God.